Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Robert McCorkle. And Robert is co-founder and COO of Emerald Metrics. And we're going to learn a little bit more about what they do and some fascinating technology, fascinating history. So I'm excited by this interview. Rob, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate your time. Yeah. So let, let's start with the background. I'm always kind of curious how people sort of get into this space. You know, I know you've got some background from a technology point of view and kind of a professional point of view. So let's let's kind of cover that and then we can get into what Emerald Metrics does and how you're using this technology in the cannabis space. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, actually, the other co-founder, one of the other co-founders and myself, Chris Rushing is another co-founder. He came at this from the military side and I actually came to the technology through law enforcement side. Um, I'm a retired lieutenant commander from a large police department. And yeah. we actually used spectral uh, photography years ago throughout the years to look for certain signatures when we were looking for, you know, large methamphetamine oh. operations, you know, Look, doing body searches in the desert, things like that. So we use spectral imaging. So and, let's, and actually, let's let's just ground people a little bit. So when we talk about yeah. spectral imaging, what are we talking about here? What is this technology? Well, so what it is, spectral imaging has been around since the 80s. It was actually designed and developed by DARPA for NASA. Uh-huh. Um, so what spectral imaging is, is we use hyper and multispectral cameras to detect and codify the spectral code for any biologic we're looking at. So what a spectral code is, how a certain biologic refracts and emits or absorbs lights at whatever level through the light spectrum that it is doing so. Mm-hmm. So from zero to 1100 nanometers, every biologic in the world refracts and emits and absorbs light at a different level. So we we um, detect that 
and then we write algorithms based around that so that our cameras can detect it anytime they see that in the future. Got it. So so basically, you're using cameras to basically develop a signal so that that's based on various wavelengths and things, and then using the algorithm, you can kind of turn that signal into a pattern, or you can look for a pattern to say, oh, well, this is this particular biologic or, or you know entity thing thing that is there, whether it's uh, you know a very small scale or very large scale. Uh, that that's the basis of the technology. Did I get that right? <laughs> exactly. We make, we like to call it a fingerprint, a spectral fingerprint. fingerprint. I like it because they're all unique. So um, we've spent years. Like I said, Chris and I. Chris came out of military. I came out of law enforcement. But after that, we developed a program for large agriculture. Um, we were imaging Got about it. twenty million acres a year using cameras that were mounted on the bottom of Cessna planes flying over 10,000 acres at a time. And we would write the spectral code, the algorithms for what we were looking for in corn, wheat, and soy, whether that's, you know, health anomalies, um, nutrients in the ground, pesticide drift, whatever it might be, we would write the algorithms and then give that data back to the corn, wheat, and soy farmer Uh so that they can make decisions on how, where, and when they're going to grow. You know, what kind of crops, if they're going to plant, if they're not going to plant, if they're going to take the crop insurance that year, um, we give them that data. So we developed that program over about seven years Um, We handed that off to the parent company. And then over the years, we've been shrinking the cameras down, um, getting better at writing algorithms for different types of biologics. Mm -hmm. And now shrunk our cameras down to where they're about the size of um, an iPhone X is a good example about the size of our cameras. Yeah. And how, I I guess, how details can you get? So if you're running a a camera on the bottom of a Cessna looking at a crop, what's your your resolution or how how can you describe the, the detail that you can look at? Yeah, so we can, from 10,000 feet up in the air, we can get down to two centimeters on the ground. Two centimeters on the ground. Okay. So, I mean, probably That's the best thing yeah. to think about it is we could pick out a single stalk of corn in the middle of a 10,000-acre field that had, you know, wilt disease on it uh-huh. and tell the farmer exactly where to go to pull that one stalk of corn so that the disease wouldn't spread through his corn crop. Wow. So, you, could, you, you can get that level of kind of diagnostic or identification so that you could you can go down to single plants or single single entities at that level. Okay. You know, for an example, indoors now our cameras, we are actually down at the pixel level. You know, if we find powdery mildew in one pixel of an image, we uh-huh. can identify the grower. So and, and so the application obviously sort of logistics or scenario is quite different, right? You're going from uh, you know, planes looking at fields to uh, I mean, tens, twenties of feet, you know, over, you know, over indoor crops. I mean, I, what's the, I guess, what have been some of the challenges as you've kind of repurposed the technology in, into this new kind of market? Yeah, the challenges have been um, field of view and being able to be within a price footprint that makes it to where it's a usable technology for um, indoor farmers. You know, when we were running cameras on the bottom of our Cessnas, our cameras were, I think our cheapest camera at the time was $500,000. million. Now we've shrunk the cameras down to where our cameras are down around the $1,500 to $2,000 mark, which is a huge difference. It's the same technology. So when we cut, we build our own cameras, we build our own technology. So we made it so our field of view, our closest camera can go down to 30 inches away from the top of flower. Um, yeah. And we get a field of view and be able to picture health and um, anomalies on the cannabis. So we have definitively developed camera systems that are far better than what we used to have for a much lower price point. Yeah. 
So there's there's a slight irony in the in the whole story. You know, two guys coming out of law enforcement and military now in yeah. cannabis, helping grow cannabis. Give us a sense of the how did that come up? How do you guys get into cannabis? Like what what has been the that journey like? So I actually got into cannabis right when I retired out of law enforcement. My mother was diagnosed with brain cancer, so um, I ended up taking some growers that I knew to grow medically up in Oregon because I wanted to make sure my mom was getting what she needed. I didn't want her last years to be, you know, stuck on opioids. So I staked them. They, and you know, we built a very successful medical grow operation in Oregon that, you know, enabled my mom. In my opinion, it's the reason she lived for five more years rather than two more years. Sure. Yeah. And then in 2016, uh, we, turned over and we built the grow into a full full blown tier two ten thousand square foot indoor grow rec operation in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Side of you know, my building here in Oregon, in Portland, Oregon. About that same time, Chris and I connected. I had used spectral imaging, you know, in law enforcement. He was actually a spectral imaging officer in the military for years in the Air Force. And we ended up uh, realizing that our technology that I had used and he was developing was a natural fit for anomaly detection in cannabis. So um I, I pulled him kicking and screaming into the cannabis. <laughs> um, you know, he came out of government. He didn't uh, yeah. he didn't understand the value proposition, and you know, he was a little worried about his top secret clearance. Yeah. So uh, I convinced him to let go of his top secret clearance and uh, become a cannabis guy. Yeah. And how has that transition gone? I mean, I think there's I've spoken with a lot of people that have come out of either industries or professions or even just kind of cultural, family, religious situations that they, you know, it, there is a there is kind of a shakedown. I mean, there's a, you know, some of their friends, some of their family kind of understand and, and accept it. Other ones don't. I mean, have uh, how have you I mean, it sounds like you on the personal side had, uh, you know, family experience with your mother, which, you know, sort of helped the transition. But as you work with other folks in the law enforcement and military, how does that play out? It's, it's interesting because uh, one interesting characteristic of our technology is it's heavily used in government services, but not heavily used in the private sector in a lot of ways. Hyperspectral is, but multi isn't. So a lot of the people that we are hiring are actually um, <laughs> ex-government people. Yeah. So we have ex-military. We're pretty heavy. You know, we're military owned. And we're pretty heavy, you know, hiring out of the military because that's where the expertise is. Yeah. So our, our challenge hasn't been so much with our family and such. It's been Got with... It people that we've known for 20, 30 years, convincing them to come over and work on a project that's involved with something that for their whole career, they've been told it's illegal. Yeah. So the conversations are interesting to say the least, Yeah. but when they see, you know, what Chris and I are doing and, and the fact that we're, you know, we're legitimate, we've yeah. got all our business licenses, we're uh, well accepted, our technology is, is workable, our technology is something that benefits the industry greatly and something nobody else has, you know, brought to the industry. We've found them willing to make that transition a lot easier than it would have been, you know, two or three years ago. Yeah, there's it's the time. Some of this is just kind of timing and where the thing, things exactly. are right. You know, and as, and as some of the, uh, you know, the theater of operations are starting to cool off overseas and, you know, a lot of our friends are starting to come back to the mm-hmm. U.S., you know, they are looking for opportunities that don't require them to be over in the sands and you know yep. different countries so they're willing they're willing to uh to take a risk with us and it's it's been good yeah i'm sure now it's a fascinating kind of re reapplication and and kind of retraining or or taking experience and capabilities from armed forces and, and bringing them into private sector so uh yeah, when, yeah. when you think about it i mean like coming out of the military and law enforcement you spend your career you know kind of on the other side not necessarily doing what you know is good and what the country yeah. asks you to do but in this industry we're actually doing something that benefits people benefits other entrepreneurs yeah. benefits society as a whole so it's it's kind of a, a second career field where we're still helping people but people actually like us instead of hating our guts so. <laughs> 
That is nice. That's a nice uh, fringe yeah. benefit to this yeah. to this business. It's nice to wake up and have people say hi instead of fuck you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And shooting at you and stuff. So, uh, and you kind of have these two business models, and I'm kind of curious how how you've kind of managed them. So, on one hand, you've got to grow a, a fairly big you know cultivation facility and operations, and then you have this sort of technology company. I mean, how uh, I'm assuming you use your technology in your facility, but how do you kind of balance the you know, developing my cultivation capabilities versus taking all this technology and giving it to all their cultivators. Yeah, so we're actually lucky. The, um, the Emerald Metrics company is actually located within our grow too. So everything we do on the Emerald Metrics side is tested on cannabis all the time. So anything that, before we put anything out the door, we actually prove it with our own R&D rooms here in the grow facility. So it's uh, it kind of helps because I'm able to provide this technology to my own growers who've never had this opportunity before. And we've used it to uh, start developing strain analytics, started codifying recipes, you know, things that have been in my growers' brains for, you know, 20, 30 years. We're now starting to say, okay, does that really work or does it work? And so anytime they say, hey, I'd like to try this, we set up tests here and we uh, – and we prove definitively using technology and using the imaging systems whether it does or does not work. Because there's a lot of things in, in cannabis that people think work. People have been doing for 20, 30 years and are convinced that that's the way to do it. But nobody's ever really taken the time to actually prove that it works. And so that's what I'm doing in my own grow. And that's what we're doing in some of our other grow operations, too. We're actually starting to prove previous thoughts or disprove yeah. previous thoughts on how cannabis is or is not grown and what does and does not work. So I have found that and my growers have found great benefit from that because they've been able to let go of some longstanding ideas that they had, ways they had to grow. And they've actually been able to streamline a lot of their processes by not doing things that they used to do or adding in pieces that they were afraid to add you know, in the past because they didn't want to impact their yield. Yeah, it's almost like it's it's a uh, it's like the ultimate feedback device. <laughs> it's like okay, you can run the experiment, experiment, yeah. and yeah, it's immediate. I mean, you can with our system, you can change nutrients, and we can tell you within hours if the plant is is uh, responding positively or negatively instead of waiting for you know the end when you look at your yield and your THC and your CBD yeah. levels, terpene scales, and all that. We're going to tell you immediately whether the plant is responding on a positive vein or a negative vein because it's going to change its spectral code. So I get the the idea of like uh, you know you know parasites and mold and surface level things you know but I guess you know what what can you see how, like how far into the plant can you see and what can you actually collect data on I mean is it, can you get into genetics and stuff like that can you look at whether strains are performing in certain ways I mean what's the what's the limit So we're without getting you know too yeah. deep into we can we can do strain analytics we can tell different strains of cannabis purely through imaging because every strain has a different spectral code uh-huh we can have different anomalies. I can tell you the difference between powdery mildew, downy mold, brown Texas fungus. Um, we're in the process right now of trying to see if we can determine tobacco mosaic virus. There's nine viruses. Three of them have made transition over to hemp. None uh-huh. have transitioned over to cannabis. So we're starting to log those so that when they do, we can keep track of them. Yeah. We could look at one of the biggest providers, data providers we give to our growers is the health of their plants. Many of our growers, no matter what we tell them, want to go lay eyes on the plant if we tell them that something is not going right. Mm-hmm. So. I can tell them that, you know, hey, it looks like you have nutrient toxicity in plant 12, row 6, but I can't necessarily tell them for sure whether it's nitrogen, calcium, magnesium, whatever it might be. They have to go take a look at that. We can tell that it's manifesting as as a health issue and a nutrient issue. But because each strain manifests nutrients differently, until we learn each specific strain, which we will do when we're in everybody's row, we can't be – 
as specific of what the nutrient toxicity or deficiency is in the beginning. As time goes on, we will be able to. So samples, I mean, basically you need more sample, you need more data, more samples to be able to then do the algorithm against. Well, yeah. to give you an example, just just to write the algorithm for powdery mildew, we have to take 10,000 images of powdery mildew. Yeah. And that was only, and powdery mildew, you know, manifests itself with a certain spectral code. But we also want to find what that code looks like on every single strain of cannabis out there yeah. so that we miss it. But that takes time, 10,000 images to, because we use the Amazon AI, yeah. um, AWS. So, you know, it has to learn what that looks like. So that's what we do every day is teach our computers, teach our servers what those images are based upon the spectral code that we collect. Got it. Got it. Interesting. So you get so it sounds like not only can you you can decipher a lot right now, but you can actually like that that will continually increase like as you get more data and you have more cases. Well, and that's where the growers benefit from us being as many grows as possible. Is we maintain what's called an end user library okay. of all spectral codes, so the growers don't have access to everybody's information, mm-hmm. but they benefit from everybody's information. So you know, say you've got a, a grower that you know develops, you know, let's say brown Texas fungus, you know, not very common in cannabis, but we've actually found it up here in in Oregon. You may never see that and you may never ask us to find that anomaly for you. But if we happen to find it in your grow, we already have that written and the computer is going to find it. We're not just going to find the stuff that we have found growing in your operation. You're going to have access to what we found in everybody else's operation without ever really even knowing it. It's just that end user library is there for everybody's use. Yeah, I mean, it's at some point you almost become a you know like an industry uh, advocate or an, an industry resource of being able to identify like if you start to see you know a certain pathogen or something coming in and uh, you know Southern California or something and you know it starts to work its way up. I mean, you can identify some of these you know general industry risk stuff. Yeah, as as we as we deploy into more and more grow operations, we'll be able to identify. We we call it anomaly spread. Yeah, as things get brought into certain locations and people start buying clones or seeds or, you know, teen plants from other locations. And we see things starting to spread. We were able to do that in corn, wheat, and soy. We can, we can backtrack to where we first started it and help figure out where it might've come from. Kind of patient zero. You can kind of help help hunt for that. That's a huge benefit too. Not only for the people who buy it, but maybe the people who are sending out the samples don't even know they have it. No, exactly. Talking about some of these systemic issues, they don't manifest in clones. They don't even manifest in teens. They may not pop out until the plants start flowering. Um, You know, like TMVs and stuff don't manifest until, you know, you have flowering leaves that start, you know, you see the modeling on the leaves. So if we can start tracking that back, we can potentially track where it started from. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about sort of the business model and how you how you interface with clients and stuff. So are are you service based? Are you uh, you know are you kind of are people paying upfront for the technology? Are they just paying for the imaging itself? Like how have yeah. you decided to kind of model this from a business and, and deploy this for your customers? So our technology is sold as a, hot, a hardware platform. Okay. Um, we are not, but that's not our revenue model. Our revenue model is SaaS. Software as a service. It's a monthly subscription fee based upon canopy coverage that is then broken down to an annual fee, you know, divided by 12. And we write, you know, that's how we do it. So our hardware, we have worked hard over the last few years getting the hardware costs down to a manageable level. Um, and, you know, our cameras now are you know, anywhere between, like I said, they were right around $1,500 a camera. But then we put in, you know, we put our camera, we used to have to put our cameras on fixed locations inside grows. So we might have to put 10 or 20 cameras inside of a grow operation. Huh? Now we're able to, we've been able to 
move our cameras and take the pictures we need to Got it. need to take pictures. They don't have to be stationary. We've changed our software and hardware to be able to do that. So now we're like in a 50,000 square foot greenhouse where we might have had to put 10 cameras. Oftentimes I can put only two or three. Okay. And you basically they're roving, they're roving yeah. cameras on tracks and stuff. So that what we do is having those cameras back and forth. We map out the facility. We grid it out. And we tell them, you know, the location that the camera is starting to see anomalies spread. And then the grower can make their decision. We call it the three C's. They can either contain it, cure it, or cull it. But we give them the information they need rather than sending out scouts of, as an example, we've got a grower down in California who right now employs 20 scouts in his 150,000 square foot greenhouse operation. Uh Once we're fully implemented, that 20 person team will be cut down to five. And all they're going to do is respond to anomaly reports that they'll receive on their dashboard from us. So that they're not, they're just responding, looking, and then they're containing, curing, or culling. You know, one of the biggest vectors of, of disease and plants and cannabis today is the human body. You know, as we're pressing <laughs> yeah. plants, we take things we don't see. We're not using proper cleaning protocols. Well, using our system, we won't be doing that anymore. You take the plant that we told you to go take a look at. You take a three-sided poster board. You contain that plant. And then you get into that plant and figure out what the issue is. You know, we've probably already told you what the issue is, but you're going to confirm it. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to make your decision. Yeah. So you're, you're really doing the kind of data collection, initial diagnostics, and then letting people actually do the intervention, you know, with, with an enhanced kind of understanding and data set. Exactly. You know, you know, every, every grower has their own, their own IPM strategy. They've got their own, their own way they like to deal with powdery mildew, you yeah. know, some natural curse, some, some just call it. So we don't tell them how to fix it. We just tell them what to look for and where to look for it so they can fix it before it becomes a huge problem. Um, yeah. We can see, you know, we can see things before the human eye can see them, you know, which, you know, in your in your flowering stage is a big deal. Because if you're waiting a week for something to manifest onto the plant, then in order to fix it, you're waiting another week or two for the actual fix to take effect. You know, we're seeing health issues within three to four hours of them actually manifesting onto the plant, you know, and giving you, you know, a lot more lead time than you have by the human eye. Yeah, no, that makes sense. When you, um, you know, as you've been developing the business, I'm, I'm curious where some of the challenges have been. You, you mentioned the, the hardware and getting, you know, the hardware down from big and expensive to, you know, small, less expensive, portable. What, what have been some of the other challenges if you've kind of taken this technology and built this business around it? Understanding the technology, understanding what the value prop is, mm. making sure that as the industry grows and as as there becomes less and less resources for people to go to to find out if they're doing the right thing, growing in the right way, technology is the way it's going to have to be. I mean, that's just that's just the way. As mm-hmm. cannabis becomes a commodity, you're going to have to leverage technology to grow more with less in either the same or less amount of times in the same or less square footage. So our technology allows for labor savings and all those pieces, but we have to explain that to them. A lot of people have their own systems and processes in place, so we have to kind of convince them to interject our system into systems and processes that they might have been doing for 10 or 15 years already. Yeah. So it's, it's incumbent upon us to prove that value proposition. I'll give you an example. We have a, we have a clone table set up mm-hmm. that uh, you can run your clones underneath. You take a tray of clones, put it underneath the, the, clone, the clone camera, take a picture, and 15 seconds later, we'll tell you which of your clones are viable or which ones you should throw away. You know, it takes such little energy to keep a clone looking yeah. viable to the human eye yeah. that we see clones all the time that are not truly viable. Our software, we can have, we can set the parameters 70, 80, 90, 100% of, of 
health spectrum, uh-huh. and then you could pick which clones you're going to move forward. Um, in my operation, using my cloning camera last year, it increased my yield by 12.7%. I'm not going to get into numbers, but to say that it was significant would be an understatement. Well, 12 point, I mean, I mean, whatever the numbers are, it's going to, that goes directly to the bottom line. <laughs> if you're assuming you're just, all the other, all the other numbers are the same. Everything else remains the same. So when you look at what our clone camera alone can do on the return on investment, it's uh, in most of the grows that we're in, the clone camera pays not only for the rest of the facility implementation, the SAS fee and everything, plus profit. So just using the clone camera alone is a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, earlier, just as the as this kind of market matures and there's kind of more price pressure on the cultivation side. I mean, is that when you look at the strategy of your business and, you know, kind of playing out the next couple of years, does the, does the kind of commoditization or price pressure for or cultivation, is that going to fuel, is, is your expectation that's going to fuel use of you know, your technology and technologies like it? Absolutely. And we're already seeing that. And even our pricing model, you know, our, our mission, our mission or from the very beginning is we want to be the very last thing that a grower lets go of as prices come down rather than the first piece of technology that they jettison. We want to be the one piece that they can't do without. And that's why we've developed it the way that we've developed it. When it's fully implemented and people get used to using it and see the data and see the, the ROI they're getting from it, it's going to be a point that they can't get rid of it even when profits come down because it's the one thing that's going to keep their margins up. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, it certainly seems like the, as, as the dynamics of this market shift and it's going to be much more around companies that can grow profitably, you know, consistently at scale, you know, are going to win the cultivation game. Um, you know, that's definitely going to happen. Yeah, exactly. When you, when, you look at, when you look at where the industry is going, as it becomes more mainstream, as people become, you know, more used to which strains they like, it's going to be incumbent upon the growers and the produce, you know, the producers to provide product that is consistent in quality and quantity so that the market is well, is, you know, is well served. Mm-hmm. The only way you do that is by codifying your strains, your recipes, your systems, your processes so that it's done the same every single time. Yeah. And as in any commodity, without without technology, that's really hard to do on a day-to-day basis based upon humans. You know, humans are fallible. You know, we, we have good days and bad days. Computers don't have good days and bad days. They may have days where they're offline and you get them back line and they're online and they're doing the exact same thing they did yesterday. But they're not going to miss things that the human eye is going to miss. Yeah. I'm curious just uh, that um, maybe making a connection that's not there, but you've been able to leverage this technology from your background in law enforcement and military. Are there other things that you found that you've been able able to leverage either in terms of, you know, work ethic, work ethic or approach or systems thinking or like what else have you found that has served you well as being, you know, people that have come out of, you know, these these domains, these uh, industries, you know, what else have you been apply, being able to apply in this business? Well, here, I'll make it real simple. For, you know, for 20 plus years, I was called everything but a white man as a police officer, you know, I, so I don't take insults, you yeah. know, and I don't take no for an answer. Uh-huh. Um, I'm very good at explaining things. And so is Chris putting it across in a way that people can understand the value proposition pretty easily. Uh-huh. Um, so looking at what we're doing and the way we're doing it, we both also come out of government. So we understand that the price point has got to be something that people can manage and people can understand. Coming out of technology, we all know that oftentimes technology is extremely expensive yeah. and there's a lot of pushback. So we made the decision early on to make this something that was truly affordable, yeah. not only for the growers and everything else, but you know, for the investors. You have investors putting millions of dollars into these operations. Yeah have no way of knowing whether they have no checks and balances. They've got no way of knowing if their growers are doing the right thing or the wrong thing. So when we really looked at this, we looked at it as like, we want to provide something
something that not only benefits the growers, but also benefits the people that are giving them the money to build the operations that they're building. So our dashboard is accessible to the investors. They can take a look at it um, however they want to set it up or the owners or the growers, whoever they want to have access to it. We want people to have information. And that's that's kind of the core to our businesses, providing yeah. the information to the decision makers and the growers so they can grow and provide the best quality product to the market. Um, Chris, Chris and I you know, work in you know, military law enforcement. We're used to long hours. We're used to traveling. Yeah. We're used to you know meeting with people and convincing them of different things. So I think our, uh, our previous career paths, well, yeah. I mean, oddity in this industry has set us up to be able to provide something to in a way that other technology companies may not be able to to do. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. Um, have you noticed, uh, you know, in terms of customers you've worked with, you know, attributes or or things that tend to uh, tend to make a customer a good customer or someone who can really use this technology, you know, to their advantage and strategically, and those that just can't. I mean, what what have you noticed yeah. in terms of good customers and not so good customers? Well, we, so we actually turn down people who have asked us to use our system. Um, and the reason we've done that is because unless they have true systems and processes in place to actually act upon the intelligence that we give them, our system is pretty much working. Yeah. Unless you're able and willing to see that you might have good or bad things going on in your grow. And you know, if we tell you something that you can go in and fix it. The last thing I want is a grower with a reputation for, you know, putting moldy weed on the product to tell people that, yeah. Oh yeah. And I, Emerald metric system. So yeah. we personally visit every single operation that we do a facility implementation in before they get it. We look at it. We see what they're doing. Um, we actually do our homework. We do our due diligence to make sure that they're ready, actually ready to utilize our system. And if they're not, we will work with them to develop those systems and processes. We'll do scaled implementations. Maybe we'll just start them out with a clone table to get them used to that system and process in their, you know, in their early cultivation. Yep. And then once they're used to that and they see the value of true systems and processes and IPM strategies, then we'll scale with them to do a full facility implementation. But if we don't think they're ready to use to actually use the technology and wanting to use it, you know, we either say no or we we propose some kind of a slow roll. Yeah, it sounds like at some point you almost become a, a consultant uh, for success <laughs> before you start using the technology. Let's make you're going to be. It's kind of funny. We actually we actually ended up doing that for some people, and we're doing that for some real estate groups. Yeah, I'm sure. We go in and we image areas or locations that they're thinking about. You know, either building or buying a building. We can image the building and tell if it, it has what we call artifacts. Mm-hmm. If it already has black mold in the facility, we can tell them that. If it's already got, you know, mold growing on the walls, you know, bug infestations, you know, and, and then they can make, you know, purchase decisions based upon that data also. So, yeah, we do we do act as a consultant for uh, for several groups. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, this has been fascinating. Really, really educational. We're going to hit time here. Um, if people want to find out more about you, about Emerald Metrics, what's the best way to get that information? It's right on our website. You just go to www.emeraldmetrics.com, E-M-E-R-A-L-D-M-E-T-R-I-C-S.com. And all our contact information is on there. All the information about the founders and uh, the technology. We're based in Portland, Oregon. But, you know, we're doing operations in the States, Canada, London, Paraguay, Laos. (laughs) We're doing one in Laos. So um, we're kind of all over the map. So there's really nothing that that we won't take a look at. If you have any questions or, you know, they want to know about the technology, feel free to call us. We're kind of an open book. 
Perfect. I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes here. Encourage people to go check it out. I've seen you guys a couple of shows. It's really fascinating when you actually see the technology. Um, I think it's, you know, it's definitely this kind of next generation tech that is that is coming to play in cannabis. So uh, great stuff. Yeah, we're going to be at MJ BizCon in New Orleans, MJ BizCon in Vegas, and Lyft & Co. in Toronto. So those are the three next conventions that we're going to be at. Perfect. So we'll, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll be at probably two out of three of those. So I'll come, I'll come say yeah. hi at those. Rob, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for your time, Bruce. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.